0: You're listening to the Lifelong Learning Podcast, a platform to connect educators across the globe and expand on our learning environments research spanning from pre-primary to university and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by your host, Learning Environments Treasurer, Dr. Paul Reicham, a principal of a large college in South Australia and a research fellow with Curtin University in Western Australia.
1: Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to podcast number three of the Learning Environments SIG. Uh, This is the third edition, and we welcome today uh, Professor Jill Aldrich from Curtin University in Western Australia. So welcome, Jill. Uh, We are going to learn about you. We're going to also ask you uh, some questions about your more recent experiences in learning environments and your research. But we're very much um, interested in knowing more about you and um, how you got involved in learning environments. So we might begin by asking you the first question, which really is, to tell us a little bit more about yourself and how did you get involved in academia and how did you get involved in learning environments? That's intriguing.
0: Thanks, Paul. I really started my um, career, I guess, in social training, so working with intellectually handicapped adults. And it wasn't until my eldest got to four years old that I went back to university to study primary school teaching. So after graduating, I taught in several settings in rural settings, really, in in rural Western Australia before I decided to go back to East Africa to teach. I grew up in East Africa, spent all my primary school years there before immigrating to Australia with my family as one of the last of the £10 ponds. and that was at the beginning of high school. I got a small job at the edge of Lake Victoria and uh, later became the headmistress of the Aga Khan Nursery School in Kusumu, and it was here that I met the first person who really sort of pushed me towards academia. The director of the Aga Khan School Improvement Program was an incredible man doing inspirational work with teachers and leaders. And I think it was really his belief in me that was pretty pivotal to my subsequent decisions that took me into academia. I decided sort of being in in Africa in, in an area which was extremely poor that if I was actually going to really make a difference in the world that actually I'd need to become a bit better educated. So I searched for a PhD supervisor and it was here that I learned of Barry Fraser and his work in the field of learning environments. Intuitively it made sense to me because the context of learning really does have to make a huge difference to students. And I guess it was his research that captured my interest and his work and definitely his mentoring um, that got me into the field of learning environments and started me on on my academic journey.
1: Uh, Wonderful, Jill. And and really, when I look at it, um, you know, you've been at the forefront of the development of learning environments in terms of the research uh, both uh, in Australia but also across uh, use, uh, with other countries cross national studies i'd be really interested to hear uh, more about you know your experience in those earlier years working with barry in particular and the instruments that you developed and used and subsequently of course developed even further
0: so once i got my phd i actually won a postdoctoral fellowship for a project that barry was the chief investigator on that involved evolved a school in a lower socioeconomic area of Perth. And I guess it was this principal of the school who really saw the value of the learning environment surveys, not only um, for teacher improvement, so getting that feedback of students off of students and using it as a springboard, but also for monitoring the school's efforts. And it was with the support advice, input from this principal that we made, I think, significant advances in the terms of developing surveys um, that teachers could use to assess their classroom climate. And probably getting a better understanding of how teachers could use those responses to make genuine changes to their learning environment. I think there were some really important features um, that we put into these surveys, because Mm -hmm. up till this point, a lot of the learning environment research had sort of been theoretical, as opposed to actually being used in classrooms to make changes. So in developing it, we worked with teachers and with the principal to develop Constructs that were meaningful and that they could actually make change to, so physically make changes in their classroom, but also drawing on the research that Barry had been using to involve constructs that they were able to kind of use them and knowing that they were actually going to make a change to vary a variety of student outcome. And Paul, it was the enthusiasm of these teachers that used the surveys. Um, That motivated me and probably spurned me into the next stage of my research so our focus initially was looking at how we could build capacity in individual teachers and then at this point we decided that well actually we needed to build the social capital in the schools how can we break down the barriers um, of the classroom walls and get teachers really talking to each other and having this common focus so it's not about the content of what they were teaching but that craft of teaching so using those surveys in sort of like professional learning groups and similar thing. And my work with a colleague at Kater Lai really helped to develop the school level survey for students. And this, I have to say, drew on my experience in high school where I was bullied and my desire to create a school climate in which students felt safer and they could flourish. So this desire, along with the work with Kate, allowed me to develop this survey and to delineate different constructs, although there was, of course, some overlap, that looked at things from a school-level environment. And we could use this survey as well with groups of teachers in schools to look at how them as a uh, they as a group could improve what was happening or the experiences of the students.
1: Uh, Jill, you know, one of the things that we remember of the first podcast with Barry was that um, when he began he developed you know survey tools to measure in one way or another the effectiveness of uh, the um, implementation and delivery of a curriculum science curriculum as I remember um, you know I do remember, us discussing the potential of using surveys, you know, in a classroom, in a context of teacher action research some 10 years ago, lots of things have happened. You know, you talked about the enthusiasm of teachers engaging in this process, but I wonder whether you could share with us some of the successes about how it has become a whole school uh, endeavor and and what led it to become a whole school endeavor? Because I suspect that there would be some suspicion amongst teachers uh, the use of a particular survey instrument to find out what students might think of the classroom.
0: I I do agree with you that there is often a little bit of suspicion at the beginning and really helping teachers to understand the worth of that feedback and how they might use it as an important step. I think especially for leaders in schools to really help teachers um, to, to know that they're feedback is, and it's important point, is going to be anonymous and it's only shared when they want to and so forth. And developing that trust, I mean, and trust is such an integral part of the whole school improvement process. So using the environment surveys to help build the trust is important. We've always... Um, in the work that I've done, being driven by what I call an empowerment model. So being careful to ensure that the knowledge base is retained within the schools and those teachers, it's it's the teachers that are the ex- experts, they they have um, the pedagogy, they know and understand the students the best and we, we always need to respect that. Um, but our surveys sort of help to open up um, a different sort of set of understandings from a student's perspective in terms of what they can do. So by developing processes um, that are likely to bring out change, I think that we've helped schools and hopefully teachers to, to develop capacity in terms of bringing about change. So I think with your work with Barry, you might have learned about the five-step process that we've used as a part of um, school change, and this process is sort of drawing on that whole collaborative inquiry approach at the school level and hopefully at the, the classroom level and, and discussions between teachers to try and affect
1: change. Jill, it's it's great to hear uh, that uh, the success with leaders seeing the the value of um, teachers engaging in understanding the learning environment, their classrooms, teachers sharing their experiences with each other and working together towards uh, making the, the learning environment a better place, working with students and getting feedback directly from students as well. It's a, it's a collaborative effort, and I know that's been a focus. I was really interested in your thoughts, though, um, in – how do we measure the effectiveness? You know, often we come up with different ways of doing things. We come up with, with a new innovation. But we, as leaders, we are very interested in whether it's actually effective. You know, is it actually making a difference? And tell us a little bit about what your research has shown in your work uh, in this field.
0: So in in our work in this field, we started, as I said, at the classroom level. And I think the exciting thing for teachers is that they get a pre-test, they administer it to the students and they get feedback they're then given sort of scaffolded basically in terms of making sort of small achievable lines of action that that they then implement with their students. And at all stages, we really try to make sure that they discuss the changes with their student and the feedback wherever possible. So the post-test then provides the teachers with a real gauge in terms of whether their efforts have been successful or not. And I think working with teachers we have to be really careful with with how we introduce the post-test especially if the post-test isn't as positive as we like to think that it would be and in some cases that's the case so how do how do we actually provide that feedback to teachers so that they know that well when we do take risks and we implement something innovative, often it doesn't work out the way we want to. So measuring it is really important in terms of whether it's working or not. We find that a majority of cases there is an improvement We find that students, when they're listened to, when when their ideas are taken on board, when when they really feel that teachers want to improve, actually have a sense where they're actually improving the learning environment. And interestingly, teachers might only work on one construct, but because the learning environment is is really overlapping, we find that there's often improvements in other constructs as well. And at the school level, I think this is really important for principals and leaderships as much as it is for teachers. You know, we invest a lot of time, resources, energy and money into school improvement efforts. So getting a sense of whether they're actually being effective or not is really important. So learning environment surveys provide one angle and I think an important one because we're looking at the perceptions of our stakeholders, whether they're students or parents or other teachers, and you can use that to monitor whether they're sort of the changes that you're putting in place and making a difference.
1: Jill, one of the areas that we uh, are particularly interested in, of course, within the tools would be um, the relationship that exists within a learning environment, the delivery of the curriculum, the uh, assessment that is introduced as well. But I think sometimes we're also interested in understanding how attitudes might change or confidence or indeed whether, in fact, uh, self-efficacy improves over time. and let me even put their achievement, you know, so grades improve. Tell, tell us a bit more about that because I think that's the bit that I think sometimes we forget.
0: So I think we have to remember that when we start measuring outcomes, they're often a lot more difficult to change than the learning environment itself. We have a lot of control over the learning environment. So if we find that, for example... Um, something like student cohesiveness or relationships within the classroom are not as positive as we'd like them to be, then we can actually think of strategies that we can put in place. The interesting thing about outcomes like self-efficacy, your motivation and things like that is that they're really strongly influenced by the learning environment. So, we can pretty much guarantee that if you start improving the learning environment, despite the fact that things like self-efficacy, which is your belief in your ability to do something, is hard to shift, you can over time make changes in that. And I think that's also important to measure. So what we've done with um, surveys that we've delivered is we often don't just look at um, the learning environment, but we also take measures of important um, constructs or, or sort of outcomes uh, that might be interesting to teachers. And often with schools, we might adjust those outcomes to make them really relevant to the school itself.
1: Yeah. Jill, one of the things that I, I find intriguing with your work over the many, many years have been that you've worked in many different states with many different schools and systems. And I'm sure you can comment about this, but I often think of the investment in Teacher action research is like investing in the share market. You know, there is no short-term gain. It's you're in it for the long term. What have you seen and experienced with schools and systems in the long term, in terms of um, you know the positive uh, improvements, either within schools or within systems?
0: I think your point about the long term is is huge. Creating change in schools, in classrooms, in systems is a long-term plan because really in many cases we're looking at cultural shift. And in a lot of the work that I do in schools, it's this cultural shift that is pivotal. It's not just about making short-term Band-Aid solutions that we snap in place. This is about shifting what's happening at the very cultural level and, and then hopefully that then sustains um, different actions that happen within the classroom. So um I'm trying to think of an example here but um one of the big ones is for example relationships that teachers hold with their students and How do you shift that? How do you ask teachers to sort of make a change there? But I think investment in time, investment in the cultural shift is actually going to pay off in dividends in the long term because there's a lot of research that suggests that it's this climate or the culture in the school that will impact on the effect or the success of of improvement efforts.
1: Jill, one of the things you have been involved in is looking now at a system improvement system or... Within a state, or in fact, national improvement. Let's even take it bigger, if that was possible. But um, what what have you seen in your more recent work in system improvement? And you know, what what have been some of the challenges as well? Because you know, it, it's very easy to look at the positive things, but they come with a lot of challenges too, don't they? And let, let's hear about those.
0: So so there are there are challenges at every level, but at the system level, of course, it all becomes more complex because you have this whole new layer of, of, of administration and, and ideas and everything else that are taking place. And I think um, work both in here in Australia, but also in, in South Africa and, and in Abu Dhabi where, where large-scale sort of education change have been taking place, um, th- the challenges become enormous. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the biggest challenges that we've faced throughout our work here is, is looking at, well, first of all, how, how do you bring on board people to be a part of what's happening? So, for example, I'm working with schools in South Australia where they're making um, the big shift from um, to a more co-constructive learning and assessment Um, learning environment so involving students giving them agency in terms of co-construction first of all we need to convince people from the principal level that it's a good idea and then you have to convince from the teacher level as well and then it's about how do we bring on board a means of being able to affect the change and um, this is something that I've been extremely privileged to sort of be involved with in terms of using the classroom and Climate Questionnaire with schools and individual teachers to help them to use student voice, student feedback, and, and really work more with the students in terms of co-constructing the learning environment. And yes, the huge challenges all the way. But I would say getting that, winning the hearts and minds, I think that was a term that you actually came up with, Paul. And, and I think winning the hearts and minds of, of those involved. And giving them a really sound knowledge of what it is and why it's important is are huge challenges that need to be overcome.
1: Jill, COVID came around two years ago, and it is still with us. Um, and it will have it has made a huge impact on our research. Um, certainly, the connection directly with people, but. Um, no nevertheless we have been able to move forward uh, tell us a little bit more around you know what what have you seen or heard uh, in research about the effect of covid on the learning environment in particular
0: COVID had, has had an enormous impact. And I think um, really, first of all, it's impacted on the teachers and the teaching in the schools and there's rush and grapple to try and come to terms with online teaching and learning and that new learning environment that's being created. Um, but in terms of research, of course, it, it's often research is put aside. I mean, teachers and principals are too busy to actually um with the actual day-to-day running of the schools and, and how they're going to actually implement the different teaching um, if it goes online to be able to really work with research as well. So for me as a researcher, it's impacted that, even to the point where I would like to look at how COVID is impacting on it. If teachers are too busy, then they're not going to want to sort of be involved with research. Um, I think for me as a researcher, it's been a bit of a double-edged sword on the upside. COVID's really led to more sophisticated online technology and it's provided people with the willingness and the and the ability to be able to gather data and collaborate with people and so forth so um that's made life easier for researchers in a lot of ways but then on the other side or the flip side of the coin the online technologies does make it much more difficult to build relationships and really research when you work with people um, is about building those relationships and and without that face-to-face contact and you often in meetings um, it's not just about the meeting itself but when you're face to- face it's often about that talk that goes on before and afterwards about how the kids are and, and how sort of life's going and so forth. And you just don't have that same ability to do that with the online technology. So that's affected me as well.
1: Yeah, Jill, well, one of the things, of course, uh, in our research is that um, we try to look forward. And and if we look forward in terms of um, what we want to do and where we could, you know, as researchers provide uh, agency and benefit to um, education in general, we would be thinking about, OK, well, what's that first horizon showing? You know, what, what are the things at the moment that you can see in the immediate future about our research in learning environments and and what about your ideas in the longer term? Now we're you know pushing out, say five years from now. What what do you think will be happening? What are your hopes and aspirations for the study of learning environments?
0: So I think, I like to think that I've been a little bit instrumental in terms of taking um, the field of learning environments from a more theoretical base to a much more practical base. But I think the one thing that we're really missing is is that longitudinal data that's being affected with change over time. I mean, what's happening in terms of learning environment with, with the advent of COVID? What's happening when systems try um, to implement enormous change in terms of the learning environments and I think that's been done to small extents in some studies but there haven't been really any in-depth looks at at say for example students over the years you know how do how does their preferences for a different learning environments change from when they're in primary school to sort of like year 12 and and how do they does that impact on their their sort of outcomes and so forth so that longitudinal thing um, I, I would like to think there would be uh, more research related to the practical applications for the development of positive learning environments especially as as our knowledge about education and pedagogies and this move towards student agency and things like that are changing um, so to have more research there in terms of how that pragmatics of how can teachers how can principals um, provide the best possible setting from which teachers can do it and how can teachers actually take the knowledge across that threshold and and put it into their classroom and so that it becomes a reality and not a fairy tale.
1: Uh, Jill I, I hope that Potential future doctoral students are listening very carefully to to some of your uh, ideas there. But yeah, you definitely are pushing on some really important things for us to consider into the future, particularly in terms of um, you know the change around you know will will student agency actually make a real difference? Will co-constructing the the learning that happens in the classroom make a real difference? And you know whether you're in Australia or whether in any other country, and in the end. They're looking at the achievement data. They are looking for those competencies in, in literacy and numeracy and, and a whole range of other measures. But our research continues to bring hope and Inspiration, I, I hope, uh, to uh, to educators that what we do is actually very worthwhile. It's longer term, and we are empower. Impa- and I think that that's what you said. You know, it's an empowering model, empowering students, empowering teachers, empowering principals and systems uh, to be at their best. Jill, it's been really wonderful talking to you uh, today. Um, we'll be really, we're actually very interested to know. Uh, just in closing, you would be. Um, supervising quite a number of doctoral students at the moment in learning environment. What's what been kind of the flavour you know, that's been happening at the moment? I'm really curious. I, I,
0: I think I've had um, a bit of input in terms of the flavour of my doctoral students. We're, we're very much around education change yeah. um, and how learning environments can help teachers to make that a reality and how can we help students to flourish in, in these ever-changing times yeah. um, in schools and in classrooms.
1: Jill, thank you so much today. Uh, the the conversation has been great. You've contributed so much of, uh, of yourself and congratulations on everything that you have achieved over the many years. And um, congratulations also on your ongoing work uh, in the area of learning farms. You're really one of the champions you know, across the nation, but also across the world in terms of contributing to this area. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing more about your research into the future, but uh, thank you again. And all the best wishes in WA uh, as you navigate, you know, 2022.
0: Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you.